Well, so we're going to continue this morning in our sermon series uh, called Red Letter Day, and we're about halfway through, actually more than halfway through uh, the 40 days before Easter. So if you were here from the very beginning of the series, we're actually uh, more than halfway through the series as we look toward uh, the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday, and we're spending this time kind of considering the final words that Christ shared from the cross. Now, these aren't words he shared in his ministry. There's plenty of those in the Bible, too. These are words that he said as he was already crucified on the cross, not before and not after resurrection, but while he's being crucified. And so we've talked about those over the last few weeks. By the way, Chris did a great job, and I got to listen in last week, so praise God for our live streamers um, and the people who make that happen every week to be able to jump in with us. But so we're, we're excited to get back in the series here, and we're going to talk today about something that's maybe uh, a strange last word from Jesus. Like, of all the things, I thought, yeah, yeah, this one, I was like, wait, what, yeah, why, what is that about? What is that about? Um, we, we were heading, we went to the East Coast for our trip, and we were just long driving, kind of stop, stop, stop kind of a trip, right, which we don't usually do. And uh, as we were heading back to St. Louis proper, we were driving through the country, and I was thinking about the sermon and what, you know, all week kind of in my heart ruminating about what I was coming home to do, because this was yesterday. <laughs> it seems crazy. Is that true? Maybe it was Friday. I don't know. Anyway, and the days all blend together, but we were driving home, and yeah, it would have been Friday afternoon, I suppose, and um, there was this great big Mack truck, a great big diesel truck, right, which was uh, super cool, you know, and uh, it had a fuel, uh, uh, a liquid tank on it, and in the liquid tank, it said, are you thirsty? Follow me, <laughs> and I thought, well, there's the sign, <laughs> are you thirsty? Follow me, and I'm like, man, is that thing full of, like, sweet tea or unsweet tea in my case, or soda or water, and I'm like, it's full of fuel. That's kind of a weird thing to put on a fuel truck. Uh, that's what it was full of, is gasoline. Are you thirsty? Follow me. And uh, I thought, what a funny thing. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, um, now, I can't remember if it was like a, a Flying J or a Pilot or um, a Loves. I don't know what the truck was, but it was one of those big rigs that you see all the time, ubiquitously in the highway, serving all of us. And uh, I thought, man, yeah, what kind of an invitation is that? Are you thirsty? Well, follow me. <laughs> what? What is that? Well, today we're going to explore those words from Jesus, some of the most perplexing words in my mind that Jesus speaks from the cross. All right, pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for this morning and a chance to consider your word, and uh, more specifically, uh, the words of your Son and our Savior Jesus from the cross. As we look toward Easter, we need to understand more deeply what he did and who he is on the cross and why what he says does matter in our lives. Help us this morning to understand your word. We profess openly to you that we have no wisdom of our own, that we have, there's no seeking that we could do alone, that we would find you, but we need you to come and lead us, to teach us. As a matter of fact, Father, if you don't come to us, there's no hope of us finding you. And so I pray, Father, this morning that you would come to us and be our leader, our teacher, that your Holy Spirit, that you promised you would send, would inspire our reading, our hearing, and our understanding of your word, that we might grow and be more like you. We pray that you would do this work for your glory for the, for the name of your son, Jesus, and for our good. We pray it in his name. Amen. So we're going to turn there right now. If you would, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. That's where that came from, John 19. And we're going to cover a little more than just the passage that was shared in the video. I think it's always good to get a little bit of the context of what's going on. The last uh, 
sermons that I preached here, we have been all around this stuff. You'll see that in the weeks coming up as well. But picking up in verse 25 of chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, this is what the word says. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now accomplished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, and they put it on a stalk of hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. And so we're going to focus on the end of that, but I did want to include that portion because I want, I'm always amazed as we're considering the crucifixion of Christ, and, we, and we're going to cover this more in the Easter series, but there's this group of women who are pursuing Jesus every step of the way, right? And we see here that it says, near the cross of Jesus, and I'll say a couple things here about it, that there was this ambiguity when Simon was carrying the cross of Christ, right? And I told you about that and seeing Jesus in front of him and what it must have felt like to wonder if he might die too. But now we know that that cross was intended indeed for Jesus. And here the scripture says, near the cross of Jesus. There was one appointed for Jesus. And there they stood, his mother, his mother's sister, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And we're going to actually talk about Mary Magdalene at length in our series called Easter People. And what in the world is Mary Magdalene doing at the the crucifixion of Christ, at the cross of Christ? And where is she at after his resurrection? So, so we have these women who are there at the cross of Christ, but now I want to say, I think it's, and it's not today's main point, but I think we can't go past the scripture without this passage being expounded a bit. When Jesus saw his mother there, that would be his biological mother there, witnessing his crucifixion, right? And I don't know, like, as a parent, like, it's the hardest job you'll ever do and will usually do wrong in some ways like but to be able to the fact that you continue to show up anyway the fact that mary is there at the most um have you ever seen someone avert their eyes there's just too much too much to bear here's mary jesus's mother bearing witness to this atrocity of the crucifixion of her son and we can spend some time for a, for a moment here anyway thinking about the very human, intimate relationship, which I will say this, I don't understand because I'm not a mother. I'm a father, I'm a dad, but I'm not a mom. I'm always amazed about how when you talk to a mom, that connection to their children, you know, I'm not being too stereotypical, but dads can be a little, a little rougher you know, then we're like, suck it up, buttercup. That's my favorite things to say. Moms are like, oh, there's something there. And the fact that she's still standing there and Jesus sees his mother from the cross after he's been crucified, he sees her there. I think that, I'll say this, as Protestants, we often make too little of this moment. What is she feeling in that moment? What, what is Christ seeing tells us he saw his mother and then he saw the disciple whom he loved. By the way, if you're reading the Gospel of John, that's 
who the Gospel of John is about or for, right? It's the beloved, but the, the, the beloved disciple, he's the recurrent figure in this gospel. And he sees them there beside each other, and he says to his mother, dear woman, here's your son. Now, the actual Greek says woman, but there's a little footnote that says this isn't disrespectful. Because these days, you say woman, well, you know, you might get in some trouble. But there, it was meant as woman, and all the kindness and all the concern he could muster, listen, and I'm doing this, and he's like that. He can't get his hands off. He's just witnessing what he's leaving behind, and that's going to come up as a huge uh, issue in a moment in, his, in what happens next. But here he sees his mother, and he sees the disciple whom he loved, the beloved disciple, and he says, dear woman, here is your son. And the disciple, he said, here is your mother. In other words, he's handing off responsibility for care for his mother in a, in a paternalistic society, right, where our paternalistic, like where the dads, you know, you got to have status. He's like saying, I'm concerned for my mom right now, not myself, and, and that's your son and that's your mom. And that means you're going to treat her like that from now on. Why would, why would we know that to be true? Because the scripture says so. It says this, and from that day forward... This disciple took Jesus' mother into his home. She was adopted by the beloved disciple. And so, we, and I want to say that just to say that these words are spoken from the cross. They're not, we're not doing a Sunday on it, but here he said it. He spoke the words when he saw. So then, this is why I said it's significant. Then it says, later, and this is about 3 p.m., knowing that all was now completed. And so in the Gospel of John, the last thing we have him doing, saying on the cross, before he says what's going to say next is, he says, uh, take care of my mom, basically. And then it says, now knowing that all was completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said these words, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. And I think, isn't it a strange time to be thirsty? Isn't it a strange time for Jesus to say these words, I am thirsty, these three words that uh, communicate something about his own experience in the moment? Why does he do these? Why does he say those words from the cross? Well, the scripture tells us, first of all, in order that scripture will be fulfilled, that's what it says first. The writer wants you to know that he's not just saying them for no apparent reason. He's not delusional or confused. It's not just some utterance, but it's because the scriptures know. It's knowing the scripture will be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Not in order that, but knowing it's been fulfilled. But then we'll come back to that in a minute. But secondly, it says, knowing that all things have been finished. Jesus, knowing that all was now complete, the word is tedlisti there, and so that scripture be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. And then you go, okay, so what has been finished? What has been completed? And Jesus is, um, I don't know how to say this. I want to say earthly ministry, but that's not true because he has more earthly ministry. His pre-resurrection ministry, <laughs> the time before he's going to die, he says those words, I am thirsty. Knowing that all things had been finished, he said the words. Knowing that he, was, he, had, he had finished the work set before him, he said those words. I, I was thinking about this and I thought, have you ever waited too long to take a drink? 
Like, have you ever done something? Maybe you're out in the garden and you're working real hard. You're just in the, you know, you're in the rhythm or you're outside. Maybe you're a runner and you're running, right? Or you're in a race. One time I did like a bicycling running race thing and you just don't, you just don't drink. You just you do the cup thing. And you're just throwing these cups. But when you get to the end, do you ever have that drink of water? Maybe you're a bicyclist. Let's say you just play basketball. You're out there and you're playing. You can't stop. And then when you finally stop, everyone's like leaning on the wall and, right? Have you ever been like that thirsty, like just, you know, like it's embarrassing. If, if you were in any other context, you'd be like, dude, settle down. But in that moment, you're like, I just got to get water in me, you know, like whatever it takes. Because you had finished what you were doing. You had finished the work that was before you. You had, you had completed the task. In other words, you, you weren't willing to stop doing what you've been doing to take a drink, but now you're going to take a drink because you've done it. You've done all that needs to be done. Needs to be done. Done? Dude? Did? Sure. What's going on there? It actually reminds me of uh, my grandson, Nico, sometimes. You know, he's, he's young, so he doesn't know that much yet. And sometimes when he drinks, he drinks like a crazy person. You ever seen a little kid drink like a crazy person? <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they're breathing in the cup while they're drinking. It's like, dude, you can just pull it out and take a breath and put it back. It's not going anywhere. But no, I just can't. I just got to. It's splashing, it's splashing down the cheeks. It's got to get it. <sighs> It's like, dude, you're like this big. How are you that thirsty? More? <laughs> Have you ever been that thirsty? See, I, I think it's too cheap to kind of say, well, Jesus is doing this kind of, um, kind of philosophical, theoretical head. I'm thirsty. I think he's thirsty. I think he's exhausted. I think he's done all he can do. I think that in the seeing of his mother and his disciple there and making this last appointment, he's done all he can do. And the work is finished. The things he's called to do is finished. And he is truly thirsty. He's waiting for the big drink. Jesus had reached that, minist- that point in ministry, and let me tell you this, with no uncertain terms, because if you know, you know, I don't know if like me at all, but is life hard sometimes, right? I think one thing we can do is we can act like life wasn't hard for Jesus. You know, we like put on that like holy glow he has, as if he just was breezing in and out of rooms and no big deal, because you know, he's son of God, of course. No, let me tell you, life had been hard for Jesus. He had truly suffered. He had truly lost. He had truly experienced everything, everything, church, that you and I experienced in this life. As a matter of fact, in that moment, it seems to me that Jesus Christ had emptied himself of everything he had, such that he couldn't even get a drink. He needed someone to give him a drink. I am thirsty. It's a request. It's an acknowledgement. There's nothing left. You might say, oh, Bill, you're kind of being a little heavy there. Aren't you thinking about it like, like that? Jesus is Jesus, right? No. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? <laughs> Do you remember what he was doing the night before where he prayed and sweat blood and begged the disciples to not fall asleep? The agony do you remember the trial that he had faced and the people mocking him and, and joking around and, and ridiculing him and beating him? We talked about actual physical crucifixion that had happened. But let's go beyond that. What about the ministry with his disciples? What about the times he said, oh, ye of little faith, how long will I be with you? How I, I long to impart some knowledge to you. All the struggle, 
all the difficulty come in those words, I am thirsty. Lest I get too, we're gonna come back around on some of this stuff, lest I get too wound up on it, he's thirsting for something else. He's done all he can do. There's some cosmic or cosmological or eternal thirst in Christ. This is the great separation. I told you a few weeks ago, Martin Luther said, God forsaking God, who can imagine it? Who can conceive of it? It's, it's literally inconceivable. These words are very human. I am thirsty, but they're very uh, profound. So, 29, something happens. A jar of wine vinegar was there. I think it's in one of the other gospels that said someone ran to the jar and put the sponge in it. <laughs> like they ran. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. He's like, well, I'm going to get you something because there was clearly something going on. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked the sponge in it, and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant. That's just like a, a bamboo kind of a plant, in my understanding. And they lifted it, and they, it touched Jesus' lips. The word is stoma. It touched his mouth. Just a little bit. I wonder, is this going to quench his thirst? Is this going to satisfy his desire he was offered uh, wine. By the way, this, this, this drink he was offered, it's called wine vinegar in some of your Bibles. And uh, it's actually oxos in the Greek, and it was a common drink for soldiers. There was no particular um, imbibing content of it. It was actually vinegar water is the best way to understand it today. So if you mix vinegar with water and you drank it, right? It was literally to quench thirst, practically. It was probably there because the soldiers were there crucifying him, and, and they probably dipped the sponge in the very water that was being lapped up by the soldier who just put Christ on the cross and they lifted this up and they touched his lips with this vinegar water. He had been offered wine twice at least on that day. And I mention this because the first time it said it was it had included gall. And a gall was an imbibing agent or something that would make you less lucid. It would, it would numb the experience, right? It was, it was something that would intoxicate you in some way. And when he tasted there was gall, he refused it. He didn't want to ignore the pain of what he was experiencing. But now it was just to quench his thirst. And I wonder, was it satisfying? A sponge touched to the lips some of you have been through hard things. All of you have been through hard things, let's be fair. But one thing that we might get the privilege of doing, you may have done or get the privilege of doing, is caring for someone who is ailing or dying. And one of the things our hospitals do that, you know, we talked about this morning is they give you this little sponge on a stick. Have you ever seen those? And they give you a little cup of water. And for your loved one, who's thirsty, they say, don't let them drink, but just wet their lips. It's known as comfort care, palliative care. I remember one time I was at a hospital, my dad was sick, well, he wasn't dying at the time, but you know, we we're always kind of dying in some way, but he was there really sick, and he was so mad because I wouldn't give him a drink of water because the nurse said no drink of water, and I wouldn't give it to him because they didn't want to swallow it and whatever they do and it gets in your lungs, and so... 
I was telling Dave Stahl, our friend, this. You know Dave Stahl. I was telling the story about my dad, and I said, he was so mad at me, and I had to walk out of the room because like, dad was going to, literally, he's like ready to punch me if he could reach me. He was stuck in a hospital bed, but he was really mad that I wouldn't just give him the cup. He could see the cup. He's like, just give me, just, you know, and I was like, nope, this nurse said, and I, I'm going to leave now. I'll give you a sponge. And he would just, he, he, again, again, have you had the experience? I was telling Dave Stahl about this, and I was kind of perplexed, and Dave said, Bill, have you ever been really thirsty? Because I remember one time that happened to me, and I was in the bed, and my daughter wouldn't give me a drink. And I was so mad at her. See, I think for many of us, we don't know what it's like to be truly thirsty. We see that truck, and we say, I got plenty to drink. I'm good. Dave Stahl said, it's so hard. Life is so hard when you're really thirsty. Have you ever been really thirsty in your life? Well, that's the second thing. The things are fulfilled, but I want to go back to the first thing. It says, so that Scripture would be fulfilled, he said these words. I want to share with you a couple of Psalms. First, Psalm 69, 21, and this is what the word says. Uh, they put gall in my food, and they gave me vinegar from my thirst. Now, I saw someone as I was preparing, and, and they said, well, that's not really a prophecy because he didn't eat food, and uh, they, he refused the gall, and they're not wrong. He did refuse the gall when he tasted it, but uh, it's pretty accurate to what Jesus is experiencing, right? Well, here's another one. So you have one time that Christ was offered with gall, one time without, and uh, I want to think again here about Christ in the garden of Gethsemane saying these words, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from before me. Remember that request? I don't want to drink this cup. And now he's thirsty. Well, there's a second one I want to share with you. This is the fulfillment of scripture, uh, Psalm 22. And I'm going to share with you Psalm 22, 15. It says this, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. That's interesting. Now you, you say, well, how, how is that? Just because it's thirsty? Is there a psalm here? The beginning of Psalm 22, I would encourage you to read it at some point. Read the whole psalm. But the beginning of Psalm 22 says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You recall that. So when he's saying the words, he's saying the words of Scripture and here we have in 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. It's the, my mouth, my strength, my, it's just dry, like a dry vessel. As a, a potsherd is like a clay vessel. We won't get too much into that. But here, my tongue sticks. Now you can start to relate from a human perspective. But look at most profoundly the last part of 15. You lay me in the dust of death. Who? God. That God is the one that is causing the thirst. That God is the one that is not satisfying in this moment the desire. You lay me. Another interpretation could be read, I am laid in the dust of death. But here, Christ fulfills these words on the tree at Calvary. I, my mouth, my tongue is stuck through my mouth. I am thirsty and you're laying me in the dust of death. I told you earlier, and I believe it's true, Jesus was being emptied of everything 
he had, everything he had ever known. This thirst for Jesus is deep, abiding, something that's foreign in his experience, being the son of God. There's one other place I want to turn to as far as the fulfillment of scripture, and this might be uh, more obvious or less obvious depending, but there were, Jesus was Jewish, and there were people there who would have understood immediately about thirst. They had been told stories about thirst. There were times that we were thirsty, and there was one time in particular, I'm going to ask you to turn there to Exodus chapter 17. There's one time where they were in the desert, and they were very thirsty, and we're going to cover just a few verses of this, and they cry out to God in their thirst. This is, uh, this is Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. When the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, interesting, traveling from place to place as Yahweh commanded, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they began to fight with Moses, and they said, give us water to drink. They were in a desert, and there was no water. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. Oh, I'm sorry, here, I've skipped the line. Uh, Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put Yahweh to the test? In other words, he's going to take care of you. Verse 3, but the people were thirsty for water, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us out, up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? <laughs> I just want to get you the context. We were slaves, but we weren't thirsty. And now we're free to worship, but we're thirsty. Why did you bring us here to die? Verse 4, listen to the word. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, Yahweh, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to kill me, to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Verse six, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for all the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He struck the rock, and the story is, water came out to drink. What is going on in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? The Jewish people would have known what it means to thirst. They would have, listen, known the need for salvation in a parched land, in a desert land. And, and here we have in, in Exodus the story where God says, and I will stand with you there, and if you strike the rock, water's gonna come out for all the people to drink. Reading on. And that place he called Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and they tested the Lord and listened to the question saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's the question. Is the Lord among us or not? When you're thirsty, is the Lord here or not? When you're longing for, for something, just a taste, just something on your lips, is the Lord here or not? Have you ever felt that way in your life? Have you ever felt like this is a very human experience? Why did you lead us here to die? Why did you lead us here in this moment? And now we have Christ on the cross again in this image of Scripture. 
Oh, there's so much here. The rock of salvation on a tree being struck. Why? The word says, in order that all might have a drink. Why is he thirsty? From the cross, he said one word, dipsos. It can be interpreted as I am thirsty or I thirst. We're going to make one final uh, stop. And that's in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. To kind of pull all this together. John chapter 4, and I can read all this. You've heard this story before, but I want us to hear it with new ears and see it with new eyes. This is Jesus, and here's the story. The Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples were baptizing those who were believing. Chapter 4, verse 3 now. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. I love that it says had to go through. We're not going to spend time there, but that's interesting. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had left and gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews and Samaritans don't even talk. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want to stop that story there. I know it goes on and we hear about her, but that I want to talk just about the reality of Christ needing a drink. He shows up here. There's some stuff to unpack briefly. He shows up here at this well. He's going through Samaria, and I want you to see something about the well. The well is actually Jacob's well, and it was given to him. Uh, he gave it to his son Joseph. Look at it in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Remember, Joseph was the favored son, and Jacob is Israel. So he had given his son water to drink. And for generations and generations and generations, they had drank water from that well. So much so that the Samaritans were still drinking water from that well to the very day Jesus was there. And tired as he was to the journey, he sat down at that well and he asked for a drink of water. Will you give me a drink? Now what I want to focus on is when she says, why would you ask? And he says this in 19, or 10, sorry. It says, if you knew the gift of God... And who is the one 
that is asking for a drink, what does he say? You would ask him for a drink, and he would have given you living water. Jesus on the cross, thirsty. Why? Because all who ask will be given living water. His thirst is tied to our salvation. Let me say this very plainly. His dryness and parchedness in death, it gives us water and nourishment as we face death. Those little sponges aren't going to do it. If you knew who it was that asked, you would have asked him, and he would have given you. And not only that, but he says he would have given you water that would well up in you. And the word actually defines what this is, and this is the spirit of God. It's salvation. But the word says it had not yet come. The spirit of God had not yet come. Why? Because Christ had not yet been crucified and raised from the dead. She even mocks him a little here. You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Do you hear it? How are you going to do that, Jesus? He's on the cross. He's dying. He's thirsty. You had nothing. He couldn't even, like I said earlier, take his hands off and point to his mom. He just had to, he's completely bound, completely and unable. And yet, the promises of Christ, if you knew the one who you were talking to, you would ask and you would have. There's no reason to be thirsty. I would make a well in you that would be flowing water, rivers of water coming from you. The doubt. It's a deep well. Jesus, how are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. My life is hard, Jesus. How are you going to do that? You don't know what I've been through. Well, he ends the conversation like this. He says, when she says, there is a Messiah coming, he says, and this is in verse 26, 25, we'll say that too, read that one too. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says this, I who speak to you am he. Ego, me in the Greek. I am. I'm the one. I want to ask you again today. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? In teaching the disciples, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says this. Hear the word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. How many times in your life have you just longed for something to quench you, for something to satisfy your thirst? I wonder, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness in your life? And, and I think all of us do. As a matter of fact, the people that you don't agree with long for righteousness. You know why? Because they're saying, that's not right. That's not right. And Jesus said, blessed or happier those, not who are drinking, who have fulfilled, look at those who long, who, who long for, who hunger and thirst, I should say, or long for righteousness, they, who are not yet satisfied. Why? Because they will, promises, be filled. They will not thirst forever. I don't want to get to Easter, but you can hear the Easter coming. 
the thirst of Christ on the cross will be manifest. Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, says this. It's, well, the Gospel of John says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said, I just want you to think this is like a one-off thing with Jesus and the thirsty water thing. I want to make one final point here. He says this. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit. He's that truck. Are you thirsty? Follow me. And for many of us, we can follow him and say, but I'm still thirsty. And he says, you will be filled Living water will flow from within you. Living water will flow from within me. A sustaining fount of Christ. Do you long for righteousness? Why is Jesus saying it from the cross? Jesus died so that we would never thirst again. We used to have that little fridge in the back of the, when we had our own space, had full of water. We always bought Pura Vida, I think of Pure Life water. Face all the bottles out. I wanted to put a sticker on the door that said, hashtag never thirst. Because there's a time coming. There'll be so much water. You'll never want for it again. The time is coming. And the time is here. I wonder this morning, church, do you believe it? Do you believe it that in the cross, Christ is satisfying our thirst in himself? Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the power of your word and the power of your people's stories that have repeatedly told us these stories of how we, we get to these situations where we feel abandoned, we can feel lost or alone. We can feel as if you're not caring or if there's no way for you to do something that only you can do. And yet, your spirit compels us to say those words that you will fulfill, that we will be satisfied. Father, that everything, every person, every injustice will be satisfied in you. That there will come a day that with our own mouths, our own minds, our own hearts, we will confess, yes, it is fulfilled. Father, I pray for those there today, who are here today or listening online or listening later that, that don't know that in their own lives, that they're just in a thirsty season. They're like, man, how long do I go? That they, we would look to your cross and we would know that you've been thirsty. And we would know that in you we have fulfillment. And this is not some theoretical, spiritual, but practical and real now that we know we will be satisfied. Thank you, Father, for your gift of Christ. Thank you for the fullness of his gospel. And thank you that you never leave us alone, you never forsake us, but you call us. Maybe today you're calling us again into your presence and into your kingdom to have a drink. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.